Woof woof, I'm a doge. This week on Planet Internet, we are talking about Dogecoin. We are going to get into the colonial pipeline ransomware attack, and we are going to talk about Guy's productivity article. So let's get right into it. This week on Planet Internet, in the first corner, we have VP of Editorial, the wonderful Natasha Nell. And in the second corner, we have a new software developer, Guy Torbert. And of course, leading the pack this week, we have your very best friend. It's me, Amy Tom. Let's get right into it. The first article that I want to go into is a Hacker Noon article called Why Should You Be Careful About Investing in Dogecoin, written by Andre Sergenkov. Sorry if I mispronounce your name. But I wanted to talk about this because this article is essentially going into why you shouldn't be buying Dogecoin right now, why the hype isn't sustainable. And it's essentially saying they don't have any long-term goals, that they are just based off of a hype. And then I also wanted to throw over to an Elon Musk tweet that I saw the other day about him asking whether or not he wanted Tesla to accept Dogecoin. So that's something interesting. Plus this CNBC article that I came across too about SpaceX accepting Dogecoin as payment to launch the Doge One mission to the moon. So Natasha, welcome to the podcast. What do you think about this? Yeah, I read something vaguely interesting related to Dogecoin the other day. Specifically, it's interesting for those of our listeners who might already be Hacker Noon contributors or thinking about contributing a story to Hacker Noon. Basically, it was a segment in the Morning Brew News newsletter about real life Dogecoin millionaire Jason Prolific. Real name, I doubt it, but he's a 33-year-old who lives in Los Angeles. He works a nine-to-five making YouTube videos for an online hip-hop magazine. He loves his family and on April 15th, he became a Dogecoin millionaire. So let me read this to you from the Morning Brew newsletter. It says that he first got into investing a few years ago when he bought his first Tesla stock. You guessed it. Ding, ding, ding. And after watching the Wall Street bets traders initiate the epic short squeeze in GameStop's stock this winter, he decided to go all in on Doge. He maxed out two credit cards, borrowed money from his family and his friends, put his oh entire God. life savings into Dogecoin through the Robinhood app. He said he invested 180,000 USD into the meme stock when it was at less than 0.05 USD on February 5. And on April 15, exactly 69 days later, an important number in the Doge community because of the cultural significance. He broke 1 million in Dogecoin holdings. But let me wrap this up with the quote from Jason that I think is relevant to those of you listening who might be writers or bloggers and thinking about contributing content to Hacker Noon. Here's the idea I really liked. He said, the longer I hold, the more I can create content on top of all of this. Even if it all goes down, guess what? People want to see me lose $100,000. That's content. I thought that was a really interesting oh, anything for the gram anything for youtube in this case and for our readers out there and our writers people who might be thinking about contributing i think that's a really good way to look at your life everything is content so guy what do you think do you side with andre here in the situation in the you shouldn't buy dogecoin section or are you siding with the elon musks of the world and investing 180 million into dogecoin i'm all for cryptocurrencies and especially doge it's a lot more volatile 
than traditional kind of stocks and shares, which high risk, high reward. I kind of I'm into that a lot. Elon does carry the whole currency on his back. If he goes down, everything goes down, and all his media presence and tweets and SNL stuff that's just caused the price to go up and up. So hopefully, I guess if he keeps going for it, the price should go up even further. But is I still wouldn't call it a safe long term holding by any stretch. It's still very risky to put money in, but in this case, I guess it paid off. Yeah, I think that's what Andre was saying in his article. It's definitely not a long term strategy because they have really no long term plan and they're just living off of the hype of Elon Musk. And what I thought was really interesting is in the CNBC article about SpaceX accepting Dogecoin, they say that Musk is the self-proclaimed Doge father and he made a debut on Saturday Night Live the other day. The price of Dogecoin plunged during his appearance, falling below 50 cents, despite his references to the cryptocurrency. So just him going on SNL was able to drop the price below 50 cents, which is crazy. It's very much like Elon Musk's coin, it feels. Do you agree, Natasha? I do, absolutely. And I think there's, if there's one thing that Elon Musk has proven to be excellent at, it's micro copy and branding. He writes these incredibly short tweets. He has people hanging off every word. He tweeted that Dogecoin is the people's crypto, which is just such a neat way to package and brand a coin. So I think Elon is a, is a marketing genius. Yeah, I, I agree. He may be crazy though. I saw a Reddit thread and I thought it was so funny that someone was like, oh, he's definitely just becoming the next John McAfee, which is, uh, you don't know, the crazy guy who started McAfee Antivirus, who was like a murderer. David, you may or may not know, did a podcast with that guy. Oh my gosh. And you've got to check it out on YouTube. I can't remember what the title of it is now. I'll look it up and tell you later. But yeah, he's interviewed him on Zoom. It, it was crazy. It was a great yeah. idea. you got to check it out. All right. Maybe we'll try and put that in the show notes if David lets us. All right, cool. And I just want to talk about this Reddit thread that I found as well. And this is Kabo Su. And she is the 15-year-old Shiba Inu that is the face of the original Doge meme from 2013. And she is just an absolute gem. Look at her. She's beautiful. And she looks the same, just a little older. I love it. I am completely obsessed with this meme. I think it's the most amazing type of content when people do this. My first question, who was the person who thought to do this? Hey, where is the original Doge right now? What does she look like? Is she still alive? Now the whole internet is going to be hanging off this particular dog's life development. And I, I just think that's just so great and wonderful and a great way to also go about creating content, like following up on the things that were legendary in the early 2000s. I know. Guy, do you have any idea of the origins behind the Doge meme? I, d I don't have the origins behind that specific one. I do love the whole before and after of the meme culture, though. There's a lot of Vine. I don't know if you've been on TikTok, but there's a lot of ex-Vine memes doing before and afters and they've transitioned over to TikToks. So it's quite cool to see how they progressed and capitalized off that. I guess it would be sad for your whole brand to be a meme from when you're 15 years old. But in, in this case, like a pretty cute dog. So she that is, is a good one. An absolute delight. I love her already. Anyways, moving on to the next subject, I wanted to bring your attention over to the Colonial Pipeline attack. So this is a US pipeline attack, a ransomware attack that took place this week. And actually, I think this will be interesting because both of you are guests from across the pond. Is that correct? Natasha being over in Amsterdam. 
Amsterdam and Guy being where exactly? Scotland in the UK. Yes. Okay, yes. cool. So I don't know if you guys have heard about this yet, so I'll just give you a brief summary about what happened. But essentially, last week, the Colonial Pipeline was attacked with a ransomware. They essentially shut down the pipeline operations and said that they need the co this company needed to pay them X amount of money in order to get their systems back up and running. The thing is that the Colonial Pipeline carries almost half the gasoline, diesel, and other fuel types that are used on the East Coast. So it's a huge amount of fuel and resources that are being tied up right now on the East Coast of the US because of this ransomware attack. And so it's really bringing to light the consequences of cyber attacks and the importance of having a defense system. So Guy, had you heard about this before? Uh, I hadn't heard about this specific one, but I've definitely heard about the, the wave of ransomware sweeping across the country. It's very easily preventable, I've been told, though. They just don't sink enough money into their IT security. A similar thing happened to our National Health Service. All the hospitals in the UK got compromised and encrypted, and the hackers from Russia, I think, wanted you to pay millions and millions to fix it. And it could have been prevented for just a few thousand just updating all the computers. To my mind, maybe it's, I don't know, recency and confirmation bias, but it seems like there's a lot more of these stories coming up lately. Think about the other attack that happened at the end of 2020, I think, and it was the attack on the water utility plant in Florida, I want to say, where the hackers essentially were able to get into the system and then changed some of the dials on the filtering of the water so they could have killed who knows how many people and it's these kinds of like centralized systems that are like so crazy that one person or one group of people can attack a particular company or system or whatever the case is and affect so many people. So I'm referencing this post from this article from the Washington Post and we're looking at a photo here that shows the whole effect of this attack and it says that the company says that it transports 45% of the fuel consumed on the East Coast, which is a huge percentage of the overall fuel consumption, transportation, or whatever you want to call it in America in general too. So it's crazy that there's going to be this huge fuel shortage because of this one attack. Could we break for a quick round of Netflix slash whatever HBO slash whatever recommendations? What are you streaming right now? The reason I'm thinking of this is because of Chernobyl, which I recently started looking at. It's an HBO mini series, five parts about the disaster that happened somewhere in the area of Ukraine, I think, Belarus. Ukraine and it was epically mismanaged by the this is the same thing I'm doing where people watch the crown and they think that it's just a hundred percent factual doing the same thing just assuming that the entire drama is exactly how it happened and if so just such a great example of mismanagement and failure to protect citizens and ensure that our needs are taken care of at the interests of massive corporations but yeah a really great watch what are you guys watching at the moment this is my deep dark Confession, I don't actually watch TV or Netflix. I only podcast. I only listen to podcasts. So I am listening to some My Brother and Me uh, episodes of podcasts. And then actually, I did just watch a TV series on Netflix that I really like. This is the one thing that I will actually put on. And I don't know if this is going to be interesting to anyone except for me, but it's called Blown Away. And it's a art competition show about glass blowing. Random and amazing. 
amazing. Two audio dramas that I'm super into. Are you into audio drama? Probably. There's two series I've been listening to that are really good. The one is from Radiotopia. It's called The Passenger List. And it is about a plane that disappears. And the second one is more recent. I think it's called The Oyster. Hello, hackers. We would like to thank our new media partner, Dig. Dig delivers the most interesting and talked about stories on the internet right now. Sharing your hacker mean stories on Dig could bring you thousands of new readers. Visit dig.com and join the Hacker Noon and blockchain communities. And if you are a Hacker Noon contributor, don't forget to share your story in the Hacker Noon group. It's free. So visit dig.com and go to the explore button to find our Hacker Noon community. Can you dig it? Get it? Because it's like dig digg.com but can you dig it like dig when you dig it get it <laughs> i think it's called the oyster and it's the lead actress from dear white people and it is about a future dystopian society they had to put 80 percent of the population underground they only had space to put 80 percent of the population underground and so everybody got a rating and now they're living underground it is a great audio drama and good for away from screen time but when you still want the brain numbingness of media and excellent i will definitely check it out then guy what are you into right now following on from natasha's recommendations there's a show on netflix called snowpiercer which is a netflix original it's like post-apocalyptic in an effort to stop global warming they killed the world down but then it got so cold that it's uninhabitable so there's a train revolving around that everyone lives on and there's a class system so it's pretty similar to what Natasha recommended I finished that and I really struggled to get into TV shows I just get bored and turn them off but that was one that really captured me and I actually committed to watching all the way through uh, season three should be on the way and now after that I've started Peaky Blinders which I know a few people quite yeah Natasha have you watched Snowpiercer I haven't no it was really good yeah no I didn't carry it through the only reason I watched the first episode was actually because I interviewed a girl who was on the first episode for my podcast so I watched that but I didn't watch the rest of it because she wasn't in the rest of it but it was good yeah Yeah, but I'm with you there I I don't really easily get into tv shows I don't know what it is I just can't sit down and watch maybe I am just like too hyper when I listen to podcasts I like walk around or do stuff so maybe that's right yeah for sure we will move on to the next topic which I want to talk about and it is privacy policies and internet privacy in general but this has stemmed from a recent update from whatsapp where they said that the deadline for accepting its new privacy policy is may 15th so that's coming up real quick in a few days and i am referencing this article from the verge by john porter so natasha are you a whatsapp user i am a whatsapp user yes i downloaded telegram and just every now and again checked it for the notifications of how many of my contacts had joined telegram as well i'm still waiting to receive my first telegram message so i'm just letting that lie i think i might have deleted it for space on my shitty old iphone but i think that for me whatsapp being owned by facebook is theoretically a problem 
them. What are the updates that we need to know about? Yeah, it really was just saying that the people were concerned that the updates were going to be around sharing the chat information. But Facebook, the parent company, has said that it's not going to be sharing any chat information. The personal messages are still going to be end-to-end encrypted, meaning that only the recipients can read them. But people are still worried that Facebook will store that data on their servers and that data may be used for advertising. So I think it has a lot to do with the storing of the data and what it's going to be used for, which is advertising purposes. I've been reading around it and deciding if I'm going to be making the move over to Signal. What are you using, Guy? I I use WhatsApp to talk to the oldies in the family. The oldies? What do you mean? Text and Instagram now and you're bashing Snapchat in the last podcast, but that's (laughs) that's kind of what everyone's using. Well, I, I want to switch off it. I hate it, but that's just where everyone is. I'm kind of all, I've got a controversial opinion on it. I'm all for the accepting them for a day. At the end of the day, is you get free communication across the world and access to all the world news and free apps and technology. And then in return, you give them the ability to influence and profit from you, which through your data, which is pretty much like the best and worst of capitalism in one swap. I, I look at it as a kind of a trade. You're, you're getting all this value in return and then you just get personalized ads that you may or may not buy from. I don't really value my data too highly. I'm not that secure <laughs> about it. We discussed this in a previous podcast with Lee Mark, and I said the same thing about not valuing my data. And he very rightly called me out. And often what we fall prey to is the individualistic thinking and forgetting that on your own, it's much like voting or getting vaccinated. It might not make a difference on an individual level what you decide either way. But in a group setting, it makes a large difference. So when all of us don't take care of our privacy settings, that's when it's abused by companies who offer us their products for free, because if you're not paying, then you're the product. In the words of Lee Marks, plagiarized quote from the last podcast, we might remember for our listeners. But I think that it's just, it's one of those things, Amy, that I respect your decision very much to be moving to Signal. And I'm inspired after this, I'm going to be doing some research myself around it because I haven't taken responsibility on my data. It's one of the things I keep thinking about doing a series about. Just the layman's guide completely to how do you start from scratch? Which browser should I be using? What are the settings Mm. on my exact phone that I should be monitoring? Like those kind of details, I find it very overwhelming to even start. So that's also content creating, I think, for us as Hacker Noon and contributors to Hacker Noon. I think it would be good to write around dummies guides to security online and this recent update to WhatsApp in particular. Yeah, I think you would probably be alarmed if you were to read through all of the settings or information that you're giving up to the apps and to the apps on your phone that are already existing and the things that people are asking for future apps and things like that. Which actually brings me to my next point, which is a Reddit thread that I found about Google introducing a new policy for the developers and this Reddit thread is actually pointing to a Straight Times article. And this article, if I can open it up, it talks about how Google is introducing a new policy for their developers where the developers have to expose the data that they're collecting to the users. So the all of the users will have more information from the developers of these apps about what data they're actually collecting. This is following Apple's move to more privacy friendly system where they're 
actually they're getting the app developers to tell the app users when the location is being tracked by the app. So all around app developers are moving towards a system where they have to expose more of the data that they're collecting, which I think is interesting. Google, I think will some interesting parts of this Reddit thread that I was reading through is that some people are saying that Google will never make the jump to full data privacy or transparency for their Android users because Google is a company that relies on data as a whole. And Natasha, what do you what are your thoughts about this? What frustrates me about this is much like in the climate crisis, we see corporations shifting responsibility into the hands of the users instead of acting better and having better business practices, better data collection practices. Hakanoon has made a constant choice sometimes to my disadvantage as a marketer, as a person who wants to advance the means of our brand. We don't collect anybody's data as a matter of principle, just as it comes. We've just built a internet plugin that helps you, well, Guy has just built a internet plugin that helps you block paywalled sites from your search results. And because we stand so strong on the values of a free internet, a better internet, and because of those values, we just simply don't collect your data. So I know it's incredibly idealistic and purist approach, but yeah, when I read these kinds of stories, I can't help but feel like it's more the business responsibility to have sound data collection and disclosure practices than it is for them to let us know, oh, by the way, we're doing this for us to read some kind of 12-page terms and conditions agreement. I feel like it would be a lot more effective if businesses could start leading from the front on this one, but that's just my very green-tinted lens. Have you seen the Google Data Archives? They give you the, the no. option to download all the data Google has on you, I think. It's scary to look at. <laughs> if you've got a like a, a Google Home or something, every yeah. time you say, hey, Google, it's recording like five seconds before you actually say, hello, hey, Google, to activate it. And that audio snippet's like just stored on Google, all your search results, all your photos that you put on Google Drive are like public URLs that anyone can go to. That's really bad. interesting. I think I talked about this on a previous podcast episode, but GDPR has recently expanded into looking after also the voice searches that people are using from their Google Home or performing from their Google Home or whatever device. So people are actually being regulated on their voice searches as well as their physical like text searches because yeah, all of that data is also being recorded and previously there was no data privacy regulations around the voice searches, which I found interesting. Yeah, very close to just unplugging mine and going off the grid a bit. <laughs> all right, awesome. I also want to talk lastly about Guy's article. So Guy wrote his first Hacker Noon article. Congratulations. It is called How I Hacked My Brain to Trigger My Most Productive Coding Stint Ever. So I wanted to talk about productivity hacks. So actually, before we get to Guy and Natasha, what is your number one productivity hack? Oh, this is such a difficult question <laughs> because I am a person who finds any sort of routine tedious, any kind of repetitive task really I struggle. So any hack that I implement lasts on average a month before I move on to the next one. My current productivity hack is an old school one from David Allen's book, Getting Things Done, where he institutes the mind sweep, he calls it, which I like because it reminds me of that early 2000s, was it, or 1990s computer game, Mind Sweeper. Anyway, you oh, got yeah. I'll put it in the show notes. Great game. I wonder if you can still play it 
anyway, I digress. So in Getting Things Done by David Allen, he recommends you write out a mind sweep of all the tasks that you've got on your list. And that is particularly appropriate for me right now because I've got a lot to do. So every morning starts with a mind sweep of the things that I remember as being important, which is already one filter, right? Because I do believe that the most important things will float to the top. Sometimes you drop the ball with that method, but other times it works. And then I, I use Zoe Chu's crush the sticky note method. That might also mm -hmm. be from somebody else, but I read it from a Hacker Noon contributor. And she said that you've got to have just maximum three tasks on your sticky notes. And your goal for the day is crush that sticky note, boom, cross those three tasks off. And that's the really difficult part is limiting yourself to three tasks for a day. So going through your mind sweep list and going, what are the most important things that I could achieve today to move the needle on the projects that are most important? Yes, I did that the other day and it was delightful to cross off all of the items on my list. It just feels so good. Guy, the main thing that you've indicated in your article is curiosity. I want to read back to you a quote from your article. You said, in my experience, being curious is the single most defining trait that I see leading to success for both myself and others. Can you expand on this a little bit? I'd love to hear your take on that. Yeah, of course. So when you're curious about something, there's a book called Flow, The Psychology of Optimal Experience, which is a state of mind in which you your perceived perception of time slows down. You're 100% focused on what you're doing. And the conditions for that are having clear goals, having immediate feedback, and having the balance of it's a challenge, but it's in your capability to do. And curiosity just ticks all of those boxes for me. If you've ever just got really into something and just Googled it for hours and hours, just trying to research it just for the pure fun and you enjoy it and want to learn more, you'll have probably got into that state, which is just the biggest productivity hack I've ever, ever seen. That's what triggered the whole coding stint a bit later on. I, I said I built the free internet plugin that we talked about earlier in six hours just because I got really curious about how Chrome extensions work and how Google as a whole works. And then I just kept digging deeper and researching. And yeah, it was my most productive coding. What motivated you to go on this coding stint? I don't really act on motivation, really. I, I'm not a very motivated person. I'm very lazy unless I have <laughs> discipline to, to get going. I've got a rule where if I say I'm going to work for 10 minutes, I'm say I'm going to work on this for 10 minutes, no matter what, and then just go for it. And then by the time that 10 minutes is up, I'm already so invested in it that I might as well just carry on, which is another just great little nugget of information. Action isn't a motivation. Motivation is a product of action. So if you act on something, you'll be motivated to continue it and do better. And can you tell me about the free the internet plugin? Yes. So currently Google, if you search for something on Google, say medium.com, most of the articles are behind paywalls. Google will display it on the search results as if it was free and open for everyone to read. And that's true for lots of sites like New York Times, The Guardian, a whole list. And so we believe that Google should give the option for you don't want to pay for the internet. Here's your free internet search results. Or if you do want to pay, you can see all these. They currently don't offer that. So we decided to make a plugin that just eliminates all the options for paywalls of your search results. Maybe in the future, it might bypass them and give you access to the content for free, but we're still checking out the legality of that. But currently, if you install a plugin, no paid content on your search results, it'll be completely free. And where can the listeners install this plugin from? It's available at freeinternetplugin.com is currently. We're on like releasing this Friday at Hacker Noon, i.e. Noon Mountain Time, I think. Just search in the Chrome web store and you'll see it. Open source contributors are 
are very welcome. Excellent. Very good. Thank you very much, Guy and Natasha, for joining me on this week on Planet Internet. If you guys like this episode, don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. This episode was produced by Hacker Noon. It was hosted by myself, Amy Tom, Natasha Nell, and Guy Torbert, and it was edited by Damien. Peace out. We would like to thank our new media partner, Dig. Dig delivers the most interesting and talked about stories on the internet right now. Sharing your Hacker Noon stories on Dig could bring you thousands of new readers. Visit dig.com and join the Hacker Noon and blockchain communities. And if you are a Hacker Noon contributor, don't forget to share your story in the Hacker Noon group. It's free. So visit dig.com and go to the explore button to find our Hacker Noon community. Can you dig it? Get it? Because it's like dig, D-I-G-G dot com. But can you dig it like D-I-G when you dig it? Get it?